Here on OU Live, my name is Rabbi David Pardo. It is such a pleasure to be back. We were off for a little bit. Uh, we switched schedules, if you haven't noticed. We are now on Mondays and Thursdays. Mondays and Thursdays, clock off that part of your schedule. Make sure you're here at 9 p.m. Eastern um, every week without Hashem for the foreseeable future, which is how long this uh, crisis might last. So we'll be around. Um, Hopefully smiling our way through it or finding the bright side uh, Mondays and Thursdays here on OU.org slash OU live. Um, wanted to duck out for the for Monday's episode competition with uh, Yoma Zikaron. I thought it was more important to focus on Yoma Zikaron than Yoma Smoot. I hope you've had a joyous one wherever you are, whichever country you're in. And um, a little bit harder this year to get revved up about it. Um, no blue and white cookies in my house. So that might have been the problem. <laughs> but um, we're here. We have a really exciting episode, some fun stuff to talk about. And I want to, we're going to be uh, showcasing some things that um, people have sent in. We've had uh, conversations with viewers. So actually, one of the, uh, one of the segments we're going to be doing was suggested by a viewer, so please reach out, have a conversation, OULive at OU.org. It's the opposite of the website. OULive at OU.org, email us, email the team, send us your suggestions, your ideas for segments, um, your funny memes and videos, and who knows, you might see it here. Um, we have a cool lineup. Later, we're gonna be talking to Bethany Mandel, our very first returning guest about something different, not Coach 19. We're going to be talking about homeschooling. Uh, we're going to be talking to leadership from the community of Ottawa, the Frozen Chosen, and what they're doing different up there. Maybe we have a couple things to learn down here. In the meantime, though, I want to introduce our next guest, Dr. Rabbi Dr. Saul Heimoff. Rabbi Dr. Saul Heimoff. Hey. Hello, Rabbi Pardo. How are you? I'm good. Thank God. So just for those of for the few of you who don't know yet who Rabbi Heimoff is, he is the, you know, you this right, you're the head rabbi at the Brandeis School. That's you're right. also the associate rabbi at the uh, Atlantic Beach School mm -hmm. and associate rabbi and youth director. Yeah. But also really excitingly, recent co-author of the um, it's not it's the Torah and mental health. No, it's the, it's the handbook. Yeah. I embarrassingly haven't read it because it's sold out. So that's yeah. my that's my solid excuse. Otherwise, it would be on the bookshelf right behind me. <laughs> there you go. No, you did you did well. Sometimes I forget all the things that I do. So. <laughs> I keep track of you know which hat I'm wearing which day. Yeah, you have a lot. So that's that's a, a fair amount of juggling, but. Yeah. Uh, uh, a nice, healthy Instagram flowing with uh, with cool posts and content. Oh, so much I'm trying, uh, trying to get the stuff out there on social media. So we were we were chatting about um, what to talk about because there's a lot to talk about. Um, mental health turns out is a is a very popular topic these days. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. For I would say for better for worse, but I don't think it's for better. <laughs> Selfishly, I'm happy that it's a big topic for mental health. I like to see it in the forefront, but also people are obviously very struggling a lot uh, mental health wise. Yeah, 
they are. So maybe it's for better that we're aware of it. I guess that's the, the spin that I'm going to uh, yeah. stick with and like. Um, the, the, the more we're aware of it, the more we're able to address uh, a lot of the elephants in the room. Um, but then he said something to me that I've uh, like never heard before, which is <laughs> psychology, the Jewish science. Um, and that creeped me out when I Googled it. Can, so, doctor, is psychology well, actually, the Jewish science? Well, yeah, well, actually, I guess it's good you haven't heard about it because the, the Nazis were the ones who, who coined that term. They gave it a little more of like a nasty spin. They called it the Jew science. Right. Uh, yeah, the Jew science. But um, yeah, that was uh, during the 1930s where, um, you know, they were, they were burning books and, and, you know, destroying, getting rid of ideas and philosophies that weren't in line with their Nazi propaganda. And, you know, the psychology, which was a budding field at that time, was called the Jew science. And uh, they were burning psychology books, you know, mainly books by Sigmund Freud and, and other psychoanalysts. So because there, there were a, there was a, not a renaissance, but a flowering, a spring, shall we say, of, of psychology in Germany at that time being led by Jews. Yeah, it was very much what, what's interesting is that the, the Jews historically really were the founders almost of, of psychoanalysis and psychology. They were developing these, these ideas and, um, and not just because they were Jews, but also the ideas themselves, I think, were very radical at the time and very, uh, very scary to someone because it was, it was kind of shaking up the world view of how, of how people work. And I think that was one of the other reasons why the Nazis uh, you know, decided it was not worth keeping around. What, what, what scared the Nazis about psychology? Well, what's interesting is that, you know, psychology really was promoting being the best version of yourself and, and self-growth and, and, uh, and really introspection and, um, and really trying to understand the root causes for behavior, um, things like aggression, uh, even evil behavior, uh, um, altruistic motives. And it was really shining a light and holding up a mirror to, to, to people to try and understand how humans think and why they act the way they do and i guess for people who are committing evil atrocities you know maybe a psychoanalyst would say that would be too triggering for them or too you know uh too much of a um of, of a of a of a uh, affront to their Does that square up with the, the the banality of evil the whole conversation of how it, it was you weren't these weren't like we like to think of Nazis as uh, evil guys with wax mustaches who wake up in the morning and think like, how evil can I be? But the truth is that they went home and they kissed their kids and they listened to Schopenhauer and they just, they totally yeah. right. Right. Uh, right, exactly. Splitting, right? And uh, I remember going to visit- Cognitive dissonance, I think we- like Cognitive dissonance also be a good, yeah, definitely. There you go. Oh, we're getting into the psychology terms already. Yeah, they were <laughs> educated. I remember seeing um, at Yad Vashem on a tour, I remember seeing the, the signed copy of the final uh, solution and the tour guide pointing out how, look, there, there are doctors here, there are educated college professors. They, they all signed off on this final solution to exterminate the Jews. So, you know, they were very, you know, smart, educated, you know, um, civilized people. So they like to think. So, so you, so you're saying that the the Nazis were scared of psychology because thinking about it too much would break down the cognitive dissonance or force them to to grapple with it. Again, this is a very you know I wouldn't there might be some historians out there saying no it was really just uh, because they were looped in with other things. I don't know the full historical roots of why they specifically turned against. Well, they weren't as like anti um, you know 
nuclear physics. Right. It's also like a, a time, another Jewish science. Yeah, yeah. I Not, guess it wasn't no one called it that, but you know, Freud there and Einstein here. And, Right. Yeah, no, there's something about psychology, psychoanalysis. I think it was kind of foreign and, and strange to them also. Uh, I mean, Freud is some pretty, uh, pretty out there uh, theories, you know, so. Um, but it was very exclusively Jewish, which is really fascinating. You know, once you, you know, Google things like the Jewish science, you really see these articles in, in Jewish publications about how, yeah, you know, that's our thing. You know, we, we've developed that. We, a lot of it is really um, based off Jewish culture, Jewish thought. Uh, which is really that was that was that was my next question, which is why did the Jews, you know, when I, I have this uh, this book upstairs, like thirty second site, just like different theories. There's like a lot of Steens and Mins and and uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> Bergs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> um, so I mean, I I remember I had to write a, a paper in college. It was about uh, Jews and humor, because you look at like the history wow. of humor in this country, like vaudeville yeah. is like very Jewish, and the radio is very Jewish, and God knows, you know, Hollywood's very Jewish. Right. Like with the story, like why are why are Jews get into humor? So one of my friends said, it's obvious because Blushy Heart is usher. So we have like a time for otherwise, you know, yeah, it's funny. But um, yeah, why why did why are Jews so prominent and overrepresented in psychology? Yeah, and you're absolutely right. Just to to you know drive that point home, we're so overrepresented in uh, in the world of psychology. Um, you know, I, I keep like a running list of like famous Jewish psychologists and, and there's in a, a typical psych 101 textbook, you know, intro to psych course in college, in every chapter of the textbook, you'll come across like major, major figures uh, who, are, who are Jews. Of course, I, you know, they don't always tell you that in college that this, you know, the background of this person happens to be a Jewish person. Um, I remember I just finished a book called uh, The Undoing Project. It's a, someone gave it to me, a recent book came out, New York Times bestseller. And it's about two famous Israeli psychologists, Amos Torsky and, and Danny Kahneman. And, and uh, it's just amazing how we're so represented. We've contributed so much to this field. I joke when I, when I talk about this, you know, you don't see too many Jewish firefighters. You know, or th there's certain fields that we don't really gravitate towards. Of course, someone listening might say, well, I'm a firefighter and I'm Jewish. But I'm going to get an angry email and yeah. from a listener. I'm going to forward it to you. That's always, that's always, the, uh, I meet a lot of Jewish firefighters when I use that line, but. Um, but <laughs> you can pull them out of the crowd. Right. That's a psychology that, trick, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I like to know who the good Jewish firefighters are, but I actually do know one well, but, you know, just because there are a few doesn't mean that they're overrepresented. That's, that's the profession I chose is like the anti-Jewish one. I was like, what's one profession I could think of that like, there's probably not a lot of Jews out there. And, um, you know, I'm sure. That's a fun game, like with yeah. the least Jewish. Right, profession. But psychology or you know, psychotherapy is definitely not that. You know, there's so many Jewish people in the world of psychotherapy, even yeah, till so today. What's the shot? Why? So it's interesting. So I mean, without getting into the sociological and historical aspects of like, you know, because we couldn't go and, you know, have the same opportunities as others. Okay. Yeah. Right. It's self-masking. Right. Exactly. We, it's really introspective. I really think, um, you know, I remember hearing this from one of my rebaim when, uh, when I was in Shiva that, you know, I asked him a question about science and the Gemara and, you know, how do we deal with, you know, statements from Chazal that don't line up with science. So he said, Chazal had a PhD in the Yitzhahara. That's what they studied more than anything else. They weren't, they used science and nature to influence their, their understanding of Torah, but what they really were interested in is understanding the Yitzhahara, which is really the human tendencies, human behavior, you know, and, uh, and so much of Torah is, is focused on, you know, 
growing, like you mentioned about all the Jewish holidays. I remember in yeshiva, every Jewish holiday, the theme was we have to do better. We have to do tshuva. You know, we're in Sphere's Omer now. So it's all about taking another step, self-growth. Um, each day is another midah, working on yourself. There's a lot of emphasis on, like you said, we're not good enough. We, you know, we're struggling and we want to get better. And I think that good therapy and good psychology really is also really focused on that. It's, it's focusing on understanding human behavior, you know, analyzing it um, and coming up with methods of how to change human behavior. So they, they kind of line up pretty nicely. I, I never thought of it that way, but true. We really do have a tremendous focus. I'm trying to remember who was Rabbi Lamb um, should be healthy. We're talking about like the, the, the Rebbe's, the Hasidic Rebbe's had like an unbelievable um, uh, insight into, into human psychology with, with none of the tools that we traditionally use in the field. Um, so, okay, I was gonna, I was gonna ask you, <laughs> I don't think the question is right anymore, but I was gonna ask you if it's really true that Judaism and mental health fit so well together, but the point, and then I was gonna ask you how you feel about the, um, the older psych and the newer psych and the psychoanalysis versus CBT. Um, does, does Judaism, do you, do you feel as a, the rab, your rabbi hat, you fall on either side of that because of, because of your Torah background? Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, what, uh, when I, I was in Smicha first, and, and I think one of the benefits I have of being able to talk about this topic is, you know, I do have, you know, training and, and, uh, and really degrees in both areas. And in researching this topic, you come across a lot of, you know, stuff out there that people have written about. It seems to be, like you said, a very popular topic nowadays, mental health. It seems every Shabbos Agadol Drasha is about mindfulness or, or, you know, overcoming anxiety, living in the moment. It's, it's, it's such a... Um, but know, even, even pre-COVID, it was, yeah. it, it, like, much more trendy. During COVID, it's like... Oh, yeah, through the roof. Yeah, yeah, go to a Jewish bookstore. You'll see all these books are very therapy-ish. Um, but, I, you know, to really base it in sources, and original sources, like you mentioned, Rebbe's, um, and working for... Uh, writing the book uh, and researching it, I had to track down original sources. And there's always these famous ideas. Oh, uh, right, right, right. Salanter has these famous ideas, or Rav Kug, or Rav Nachman. And to really find it, okay, what's the source? What's the original quote? And, and how does it match up with the world of psychology in a very direct way? You know, I, I started asking around some colleagues, and people, everyone has like a, oh, because, you know, Lech Lecha, Avram, God told him to go to himself. We see from here, go to yourself. As if that, I want something more direct, more obvious, um, and found dozens, dozens of them. Uh, there, there, there are many interesting books that have, that have come out already. Uh, one that I have sitting over here, a different book, which I used, uh, just, uh, I guess, found, The Foundations of God, The Judaic Foundations of Cognitive Behavior. Wow. Yeah, fascinating, right? And uh, it's a whole book about how CBT is, has Judaic foundations. Um, and, uh, and you think that that's, you think that's real or that's just like a forced attempt to put together two things that you like a lot? Okay, so to be totally intellectually honest, some of them are stretched. And the way I, the, the, I guess the disclaimer I give is look, the Torah wasn't written as a therapy book, as a manual. It, it's not necessarily the genre that it was, it was meant to be. When I, I like to do, um, psychoanalysis of, of biblical characters. That's really my favorite thing is to kind of analyze stories from Tanakh and look at the, psych, the mental health struggles that, that these characters went through. And I give a disclaimer, look, as, when I work as a therapist, I get a, um, an intake 
of like a packet of everything in this in this person's life you know how they were born when they learned to walk when they learned to crawl what their kindergarten teacher said about their report card a full intake report the Torah doesn't give us that it gives us just a few lines you know maybe one little biographical information of Yona ben Amitai that's it no other information and uh, we have to really you know we have to do some creative kind of digging a little bit I'll use midrashim often but um, the feedback I've received is that the connections are, are very fascinating, are very interesting, and, and I, think, I think are accurate. You know, but I guess you could argue that point. So tell, can you tell me, because uh, uh, tell me about the, the book you recently came out with, um, what's in it, how is it different than, than what's already on my shelf? Yeah. Um, tell us more I've, about I've, it. I brought a copy here. This is, this is my son's copy that I gave to him. Um, yeah, he was very excited about that. That was really cool. Um, he got the first one, the Bikurim. Uh, well, the, the Handbook of Torah and Mental Health. I just hold it up there. And uh, and what's really um, what's really unique about it is that it's the first one of, of its kind that I could find that collected all the sources together and 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 cataloged them in one place. Meaning, it's not just on mindfulness or on depression or anxiety. It's on a a full spectrum of, of mental health topics and and they're cataloging different chapters a chapter on depression a chapter on parenting a chapter on anxiety a chapter on dialectical behavior therapy um, so it's really a handbook it's really a um a resource for either jewish therapists or or someone in therapy or even just anyone curious of this topic to open it up and see you know what does the torah say on you know on on ocd or or this treatment even uh, from a from like a like a Joshua perspective or a halachic perspective, because there's you know those are both especially for OCD. Right. Serious. No, it's not really a halachic sefer. Um, it starts off with a Jewish source and it's briefly described, and then it's connected to the psychology. What also makes it, makes it unique is that everything is is based in science and evidence. Um, journals, stu studies, and you know academic research is, is cited on every single entry that's in there. Um, so people could look up this, you know, the science on it and the sources and read about it. So we're, it's really kind of like you were saying, it's a high academic standard. You know, it, it really is, is something that really, we're trying to set the bar high for what Jewish psychology looks like. Um, power to you. Um, for people who, is there a way, <laughs> is there a way for people to get the book now or, or we just have to wait? Well, so there's a little thing that happened in between when the book went out of print and, and Mosaic Press, who published the, the book, is based in Israel, were very excited. It, it went out of print in, in, in less than two months, the, the first uh, printing. Uh, it did really well. And they That's were. A great you know, yeah. And, uh, and it was really exciting that they were going to do a second printing. And then all of a sudden, you know, this global pandemic happened. So things are on hold for now. Uh, okay. Well, where, can, where can people who are really curious find you online or find more from you about yeah. you? Well, I post some ideas that are based on the book on my Instagram account called Torah and Mental Health. So it's at Torah and Mental Health. Uh, and there I, I, you know, I'll write on topical you know, ideas, Sirita Omer, things that come up in the Parsha and relate to mental health. And I'll kind of borrow some ideas from the book. Uh, I have a website, rabbidrsolheimoff.com, uh, where I also... Um, How did you get that one? <laughs> better, call Saul, better call Saul is taken so I had to do, uh, had to do this one. <laughs> um, and hopefully it'll be out soon There's, there was a copy selling on Amazon for like $75 <laughs> a few days ago wow yeah so, was it signed by you but 
I mean, no, I think it was, I don't know who put that up there. I would never put that up there for $75, but uh, you know, the, cop, the copies that people buy from me are, are you know, signed if they want them signed. Um, you know where to find you. Um, Rabbi Doctor, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. This was great. It was a lot of fun. All right, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Take care. Stay healthy. You're on OU Live. My name is Rabbi David Pardo. That was Saul Heimoff. Um, if you're curious about mental health or you want, or it's on your mind, I'd love to plug my friend. Uh, my Avi Haller is doing a uh, twice weekly Monday and Thursday series on mental health. Um, check it out on the OU's website, together.oe.org, or on the Facebook page. Different uh, topics every week. Um, thank God there's a lot of uh, resources, resources out there. Um, maybe we can get uh, Rabbi Dr. Heimoff on the show. In the meantime, I'd like to introduce our next guest. Bethany Mandel is actually our very first returning guest. First of many, maybe not. Um, you bring back the best. Bethany. Hey. For those of you who weren't here last time, Bethany is a, a writer, a journalist, a columnist, um, public public figure. She's got a, a rip-roaring Twitter. She's a columnist at The Forward, mm -hmm. um, Washington Examiner. Mm -hmm. um, there's a third, I think. But uh, you published like all over the place. And Editor at Ricochet. That's my main gig. Ricochet. So Ricochet and Lady Brains podcast. Mm -hmm. um, so you should definitely check that out. There's a lot of good content there. She's also the founder of Kosher19, uh, which we famously delved into last last time episode something six i can't remember um kosher 19 is that that's still rip roaring mm, no. okay it's going it's going we we're we're evaluating how much we have left and and we're, our fundraising has slowed down considerably and so we're making we're deciding on our last deliveries basically um hopefully they're not necessary you know soon being here at Amenu. um amazingly after the entire biography you're also a stay-at-home mom yeah. Um, <laughs> Somewhere. Um, My children a, are feral, but yes. You do a fair amount of homeschooling. Yeah, and, I do homeschool. <laughs> right. You do homeschooling. You recently wrote about it in the Atlantic. Mm -hmm. um, actually, can I, can I, um, you, you made reference to the video that obviously my wife showed me. Um, this Israeli woman, and in honor yes. of this week being Yermas Ma'ut and all of us in America trying to feel a little bit more Israeli, I just want to share the glory of, um, of this video with everybody at home.
עכשיו הילדים שלנו יעלו עלינו כמה אנחנו סתומים. זה לא לעניין, באמת. אני יודעת להפוך שבר מדומה. גם, גם אם הוא מדומה, אני רוצה להבין משהו. למה צריך להתעסק איתו? הוא לא אמיתי, עזבו אותו בשקט. מה אני אומרת פה? גמרתם עלינו, זה רק היום השני. אם לא נמות מהקורונה, נמות מלמידה מרחוק. זהו, פרקתי. בבקשה, להוריד. להוריד קצב, תניחו להם. שיהיה יום מהמם. It's a lot of friends. So I, I've been getting a lot of calls and texts from friends and friends of friends from people, mostly who have more than one kid. And they're just saying like, this is not, this is not a thing that works. I can't work my job and supervise Zoom for my five-year-old. This is not a thing. I can't have my five-year-old sitting in front of Zoom all day. And they're overwhelmed and they're exhausted and, right, and we've, we've they're not so learning much, anything. So keep our kids away from screens, mm-hmm. we work so hard, and now mm-hmm. it's like, oh, by the way, the teachers want them to be in yeah. front of the screens as much as possible, and you should probably sign up for ABC Mouse. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, so it's, it's just, it's not working for a lot of parents, and so a lot of school districts are starting to be like, you know what? Mm, take back seas. I think we're just going to end the school year early, and okay. I mean, w- that, that's a good idea. Because um, what, what they thought they could do, I mean, really, honestly, like how much can you blame these schools and these school districts? No one anticipated this two months ago. And then no, all of a sudden they had to move everything online and that doesn't work and they've learned that. And I, I feel this on both sides because my wife is a, not just a teacher, she's actually an excellent, prolific, famous teacher in the Bergen County area. Um, she's awesome. And I, you know, so I'm, I'm watching her um, wrangling eighth graders. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and and doing her absolute best and yeah. and doing well actually um and then i'm watching my um i'm watching my six-year-old walking around with a tablet like in her hand kind of swinging it around and i'm like are you are you in class right now and she's like i i think it's done i don't know and then we get an email from her that? teacher um she's a truant and then i i, t- I tell her i'm like tiffy the, the cops are gonna come because you're they're not, <laughs> not going to class anymore and um she uh she unfortunately took that seriously so <laughs> no she's fine but um okay so tell me because i'm you know I, i'm the uninitiated how is it better if you're homeschooling that just means the same thing minus at least i have the teacher on zoom that's an that's a value add isn't it if i just get rid of the tablet then what so it depends on the age of the child for an eighth grader or ninth grader tenth grader I think that could be working. For a three-year-old, a five-year-old, a seven-year-old, you cannot expect them to sit in front of Zoom all day. It's just, it's not a fair expectation. I couldn't sit in front of Zoom for four hours. Why would we expect that of a child? And so you're already going to be dealing with behavioral issues. You're already going to be dealing with the fact that they're not really learning. So it's basically, what, what is your goal here? Is your goal to shut them up as long as possible? 
Okay, I mean, I don't see the difference between Zoom and Frozen, if that's the case. Um, I, I Frozen too. Oh my God. I'm saying there. Okay. It's a source no of house. Oh, I have opinions. Uh, I can't. I can't. I can't take it anymore. I can't. I just can't take it. Why? It's so good. You have and really they, bad They taste. brought back. We could say, okay, this is different. They brought back all the good punk bands to do covers. I mean, no. What What message is this sending to our daughters? I. Total divergence. Okay, so I happen to think that the Frozen One message was one of the best Disney messages that ever happened. Yes. Uh, okay. So I'm going to die on. Are you ready? Every Disney movie is about the same thing. It's I met this guy. Right. I never met before, and we're perfect for each other. I'm perfect for him. He's perfect for me. And the wedding is the end of the movie, meaning right. the wedding is the end. And because we all know that after the wedding, it's it's magic forever, and that that right. is destroyed. Two generations of Americans. One thousand percent. And that's and the definition of love. The definition of love is that that feeling mm -hmm. that it's going to be great forever. And that, yes, that's I not agree. what love is. And no one in a functional marriage thinks that. Correct. Frozen is the only Disney movie that that, that said the definition of love is is willing is the willingness to sacrifice yourself for your sister. I thought that was incredible. It was actually they made fun of they, they made fun of every Disney movie. They took the guy, the guy was actually, the guy that you fall in love with, they made a whole song about how ridiculous mm -hmm. it is. Mm -hmm. He turns out to be the bad guy. Right. And then, and then in the end, the, the love, you know, that will save everything is not the kiss as it was in previous Disney movies. Yeah. It's, it's the, willingness to, the willingness to throw yourself in front of a blade for your own sister. Amazing. You have totally changed my mind on Frozen. There. <laughs> Fair. I sort of saw it as like a girl falls in love with a guy and is an idiot for doing for doing so. But like it's okay. It's okay. It all works oh, out. Sadder, no, this it's the satire of that. We make fun of her and she learns. Hmm. All right. I mean, if I'm being honest, I don't totally pay attention to the movie. I still don't know. <laughs> because you're an so. excellent homeschool mom. So let's get back to that. Um, <laughs> um, I still don't know the difference between Hans and Kristoff. That's okay for the for the after show. Um, <laughs> you have to subscribe, hit the subscribe button, and you'll get the uh, you'll get the further the further interview. Okay, so, so homeschool. The homeschool. So tell me more. So Meaning, how how is it easier? Yeah, I can just park my kid in front of a in front of a TV and and play Frozen. Right. Um, or more wholesome, non-Disney, um, something, something. How, how is it more manageable to take my kids outside and do gardening or to give them a workbook or like what, let's say people are watching right now, they're not going to commit to, I'm pulling my kids out of school and we're doing homeschooling, but they got to do something for the next month to stay sane. What, what, do, what do they change? So my perspective on this, if you're not going to pull your kids out of school, which I mean, actually, everyone's pulled out of school, so that's irrelevant. Your right. children are not <laughs> now. Well, they're not making permanent decisions about. Right, right. So the question is, what do you do until they go back to school? That amorphous time in the future that no one knows when that might be. My perspective on it is, you should be using this time to teach your children the things that are, they're not learning in schools anymore. They have taken so much art instruction out of the school day. They've taken 
all home economics out of the school day. They don't, kids don't know how to cook. They don't know how to balance a checkbook. They don't know how to garden. They don't know how to sew. They don't know how to do watercolor. And there are really tangible educational reasons why they do need to know these things outside oh, yeah. of the fact, like fine motor skills, the, all of the, your brain, like the, the way your brain works when you're watercoloring and painting, like these are all educational skills on top of the fact that if your kid has a button fall off their shirt, they should be able to figure out how to put it back on. Yeah. And that's a skill that our generation is losing very fast. And it's a, and if, if, I don't know how to do it, then my children are never going to learn. Yeah, I don't. I don't know how to put yeah, the buttons yeah. back on. And but I do know multivariable calculus. Well, there you go. I'm, I'm glad that... It's I've used extensively since mm -hmm. graduating college. Yeah, so I mean, these are the things... I mean, you, kids need to know how to cook. They need to know how to bake. And there are... You can talk about fractions. You can talk about physics. You can talk about chemistry. All of those things while you're teaching your children those things. But they need to know how to take care of themselves. And they don't really um so i think that parents should be taking these this time to teach their kids some real life skills so that i mean i think that sounds great short term especially if yeah, a lot of us are being yes. honest with uh with ourselves you know didn't my kids are very different so one of my kids is really like locked into the zoom um and locked in their classes not all of them um so i could definitely see um if he's doing a lot better um, you know, learning uh, fractions through cooking and she and swing the uh, iPad around and walking around. Um, but long term, not long term, and that's not what homeschool, homeschooling is also right. curriculum. It's also sitting down. It's also yeah. putting your, your, your ducks in a row. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's very different. So the, the homeschooling that we do is literature-based. It's, it's based on a philosophy by a woman who lived like 150 years ago named Charlotte Mason. She was an English woman. Um, and actually her assistant who helped run her school was Jewish. Her name was Henrietta. I don't remember her name, but she was Jewish. And, um, and so Charlotte Mason was Christian, but she, you know, didn't hate Jews, which is a nice start. But basically what... <laughs> oh, in context, she's, she's actually amazing. I, I mean, like, for the woman of, of the age that she came from, from England, like, it's actually a miracle she didn't hate Jews. Yeah. But, so the philosophy we follow is Charlotte Mason. And so basically, the, it's, it's very literature-based. Um, basically, you're, you're giving your children the tools from which to learn. And so you're supplying them with the best books. Um, so like in, in first grade, we're reading um, Squanto and um, Charlotte's Web and um and so like for example charlotte's web while you're reading charlotte's web they're learning about loyalty they're learning about friendship and you're not sort of you're not sugarcoating it you're not forcing it down their throats you're not dressing it up as a child thing like you're giving them this this piece of literature that has lasted through generations and you're supplying your children with it and they kind of chew on the story in their minds and they come to their own conclusions and they think about things and they make connections and you're letting the children do that themselves. Um, and so fine, fine literature is one component. Fine art is another. Fine music is another. Um, and so it was interesting. Like I was, I was taking a nature walk with my daughter today and she looked at me and she's like, you know, this reminds me of, and this is why I thought about Charlotte's Web. She's like, this reminds me of Charlotte's Web. And this is like, you know, that, that spider web over there 
makes me think of like maybe there's a Charlotte there and, and what is that world like and it, it really kind of it makes them make connections with their world and it, it makes my my children deeper thinkers and more um, spiritual and inquisitive people um, and another component is nature study and it's a huge component of not just science but also religion um, and I I find um, I, I find my deepest communion with Hashem when I'm looking at a spider web or a flower petal. And I, I wasn't ever like that. And I wasn't sort of a frou-frou spiritual person until we started studying nature study and we started nature journaling. And so you really have to pay attention to details on, I mean, the other day we were on Sunday, we were nature journaling a house fly. And so I was looking really closely at the, the wings of a fly. And I was thinking like, wow, this is so incredible that it's 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 such a beautiful intricate design on these on these wings and i never would have noticed it were it not for us doing nature journaling and today i was in the woods with the kids and we were talking about the 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 spider web and flower petals and my son said you know thank hashem for this day what a beautiful day and i was like you know that's kind of like that's kind of the definition of, of what we sing in the morning with Modeani. And the kids were tra trapezing through the woods singing Modeani on the top of their lungs. Like, thank you, Hashem, for this day. I want a day like this tomorrow. And I'm like, this is my homeschool. Like, it's, it was such a beautiful moment um, that made me feel like you know, we're doing the right thing here. Um, they're, they're really exposing themselves to the most beautiful things that humanity has created. And that's that's God's work. Like human beings didn't write and didn't create art this way. Like all of these things come from one place. Sorry. Beautiful. If um, and the, the Ramam really writes, uh, actually, that the, the way to inculcate Ahava Hashem, love of God, is by observing nature. Meaning it's, a, yeah. it's difficult to command an emotion. So how do you fulfill yeah. this emotion? It, this is the actual thing you're supposed to do is just like walk out in nature. And yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, it's written also that Solomon, you know, when his list of sort of attributes that made him, you know, this man of God, it was, it was his knowledge of nature. There's like a list of things like he knew, he knew all of these pieces of, of things by, by heart, like tractates kind of. And one of the things is like, he knew nature and he knew all of these things and the ins and outs of it. And it's like, that was something that Hashem like really regarded highly was this knowledge and, and reveration. I don't know if that's a word of nature and um, reverence. Yes. And I, I think that we've lost that. Um, and, and so I, I find that a really powerful part of homeschooling. Um, and it's also just, it's a really peaceful way of life. We don't, we're, we're not rushing out the door in the morning. Um, we start our day whenever we start our day, the day doesn't take as long. Um, and it's just, it's just a, it's a nice, slow, gentle way to live that I really enjoy. Do you get the sense that the, the day school world is going to change a little bit as a result of this? As a result of parents saying like, we can handle this at home, or maybe they're going to, maybe most people will conclude the opposite. Like, wow, <laughs> we can't I mean, do it all. I, I think that people are, are going to want to get back to their regular lives, but I have heard from a surprising number of people and people who I didn't expect to hear from saying like, this is nice. I'm like, 
Yes, it is nice. Not rushing out the door. It is. There's a lot. I keep telling my wife, it's like we're we're gonna look back at this and miss it. We have to yeah. like notice now the things that we're. Yeah, yeah. Back. I mean, you're not you're not rushing out the door. You're not spending all. Everyone is not spending all day out. It's exhausting for kids. I have a friend who took her kid her son off of ADHD medication because she 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 thinks that she realized that he just needs to run around more. Yeah. And he's a happier wow. kid. And she didn't. She was like, I'm, I'm going to try to take him off because he doesn't seem like he needs it. And she took him off and he's just having fun and running around. And she was one of my friends who said, I will never take my, my kids out of school. I would never homeschool. You're crazy. What are you doing? She said this to me at a Shabbos meal six months ago. And now she's sending me messages asking me for reading resources and telling me that like, she's actually thinking about it, at least for one of her children, because the alternative is putting him back on ADHD medication and putting him back at school. And she's like, that's, he's a happier kid. I'm a happier, like I'm a happier parent. Our relationship is improving immensely because it's not constant fighting because it's not like wake up, get out the door. Now do this, now do that. And it's their, their days are calmer and, and it's improved all of their relationships. That's so before we sign off, um, people who are inspired um, or just want to learn more, not so someone's going to watch this and be like, oh, I'm homeschooling, forget this. But um, I think most people are going to watch this and say like, oh, you know, I, 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 want, I want bits and pieces of this. I want to incorporate the uh, elements of this into certainly the now and then right. even, even like the next year. Yeah. Um, where, where do they start? So I have a blog called JewishCharlotteMason.com, and I started that months ago just as sort of a passion project because no one would publish anything on homeschooling in the Jewish world several months ago, and then all of a sudden it was a very popular topic. (laughs) Um, Did you see the YouTube, this uh, woman like uh, explaining um, what's going on to herself four months ago? (laughs) No, I haven't seen it. I guess I do. You just sell all your stocks like, oh, man. Invest all we of it did in Zoom. That, actually. Zoom. What? Oh. Isn't that like a telecommunications of it? Yeah, all, <laughs> of it. all of it is Zoom. Yeah, okay, sorry. So it was Here's funny. We actually, we actually did sell over stocks because we bought a house. Um, <laughs> yeah. So we sold it like right before the market tank. Real estate's doing really well. And now you're like, oh, maybe I can refi. <laughs> it's been three um, days. So yeah, so JewishRamlayson.com, um, one of my, if you're a podcast person, um, a delectable education, um, the first couple episodes of their podcast are really good about learning about um, homeschooling and Charlotte Mason, and, and I'm obviously very biased for Charlotte Mason because I, I think it's a beautiful way to learn. Um, so the, yeah, those would be the two places I'd start. I, if, if people are watching this somewhat live, they can contact me. Um, I'm doing a Zoom session for Jewish, homes, Jewish homeschoolers and homeschoolers potentially um anyone who just kind of wants a Q&A with people who homeschool um so that that'll be on where Sunday. how if they just email me bethany shondark at gmail.com i'll send them the zoom link information amazing yeah um bethany fun yeah. as always educational entertaining yeah it was nice chatting good to see you you too well that was a lot of fun so so interesting. I mean, the truth is the mitzvah lalame, the, the mitzvah to, to teach your kids is your mitzvah. It's not uh, someone else's mitzvah. And we uh, all have a responsibility. We sometimes forget to actually be in charge of that. And uh, the degree to which we outsource it is, uh, is a byproduct of our times. Um, two incomes, got to make it work. But um, 
while homeschooling is certainly not the right answer for everybody, it does uh, does uh, put us all in a position, those of us who are raising children, to ask the question what we can be doing differently during this time, um, even if just in the short term. So you keep wondering, why do I mention OU Live at OU.org, the email address, <coughs> be in touch. Um, this next segment is actually a suggestion from a viewer. Um, I've been looking for, I've been fishing around for um, communities that are doing interesting things. Um, it's a hard time, uh, you know, for, for most people, fortunately, unfortunately, Shabbos is that time where they're um, plugged into shul and plugged into their Jewish community. And now Shabbos is the only time when they're not, <laughs> they're completely unable to be plugged into shul, plugged into their Jewish community. Um, I want to share with you a, uh, a clip of something that, uh, fun that happened in Toco Hills. Good Shabbos! Shabbos! <laughs> so <clears throat> that was fun. Um, our next guest come to us as, um, again, a suggestion. So if you have ideas, uh, could be the feel-good stories, could be something else, OU live at OU.org. We want to hear from you. It works. Um, I write back. <laughs> um, and in the meantime, I'd like to uh, welcome our guests. We have with us Rabbi uh, Idan Sher and... Nikki uh, Shapiro, uh, I think we have both of them, of the Federation. Hi. Hi. Coming to us live from Ottawa, the Frozen Chosen. Um, so I, I've, I've heard a lot of interesting things um, that are happening in Ottawa uh, that I guess you guys can pull off because it's a, it's a smaller, warmer... Jewish community than a lot of um, ours here down in the States um, for the um, for us idiot Yanks who don't know where Ottawa is. Um, it's in Ontario, my friends. Um, and um, what, what do we not know about Ottawa? For starters, the capital city of Canada. And it's, right. straight, it's straight up from D.C., eight hours. You don't have to go way over this way or way over that way. It's just straight, It's like a plumb line? A plumb line right from D.C., New York, straight up. How, how big is the Jewish community in Ottawa? So we have about 15,000 Jews. Most of them, sadly, are unaffiliated. But we do have an active community of about 5,000 people. 5,000 active, 15,000 total. And what... Um, what is what is going on in Ottawa that you're that that makes you proud? Go ahead, let's with, yeah. Let's start with uh, let's start with Nikki. Nikki's um, is spearing is uh, is uh, heading up an incredible program, and I really think that it's worthwhile for everyone to hear about that and really hear about that first, and then I'll I'll follow up. Talk to me about Jewish Ottawa Helps. Um, so our little vibrant community. As soon as the coronavirus started happening and we started going into lockdown and isolation, 
everybody immediately was like, I want to help. I want to help. I can help. I'm bored. I need to do something. Let me help. Um, so the executive director of our Jewish Federation approached me. I'm a board member of the Federation. And she said, let's, let's do something. What can we do? So we decided the easiest platform for everybody would be Facebook. So we started a small, a small Facebook group. It's called Ottawa Jewish Helps um, with the hope that we'd be, we would be able to match up um, somebody in need with somebody who was able to help. And uh, the first night we had like 300 people sign up and then the next morning we had 600 and then it just snowballed from there. Um, we now have um, a whole team of people helping us behind the scenes. We have a repository of um, 1,500 volunteers, something like that. And we have um, an equal number of people that are in need and constantly every day people are connecting with us, asking us, can I, can I get some help here? Can I get some help there? Different community organizations, um, elderly people, people that um, have to be isolated due to illness or previous conditions. Um, and we set them up with, um, you know, one-on-one -on -one grocery, a phone call, a check-in, a driver, um, sewing face masks, um, IT help so that they can do an Instacart order, um, whatever it is they need, we, we are able to find them a volunteer. That's amazing. And what, what do you mean by partnerships, like with? With other community organizations, such as synagogues or, um, uh, homes for the, dis uh, the, the disabled or uh, Jewish Family Services or the Ottawa Kosher Food Bank, uh, pretty much any organization that wants help, they'll come to us and ask. So we're talking about very specific kinds of volunteering, not, you know, yes, yes, groceries, but also you're helping people who are, you know, in specific situations like disability or the elderly or people who are vulnerable in different kinds of ways. Yeah. Wow. Sure. Um, and how many, how many people are in this group? Uh, probably about 1,500 now, I think. I didn't check this morning, but we're sitting up there around 1,500. It's like a yeah, third of the entire, there. of all the Jews who uh, <laughs> And then I would say, well, then probably a third of them are asking for help, right? So not right. everybody's able to help. And so it's pretty, it's pretty impressive little number when you think about it. That's amazing. Did I, I heard something about a buddy system also? Yeah, so something interesting about that, and this connects very much with Jewish Ottawa Health. So the moment that um, we had to close our shul, um, it was that Sunday, that, uh, that dreaded Sunday. Um, we all had, to, we, what we immediately set into place was this, was a buddy system where um, the elderly and the vulnerable in our community would be checked on um, actually once a week. So we had this very large number of callers and they were going to be checked on. They had their buddies um, and what we ended up finding out obviously was that there was going to be many people that weren't going to be able to do their shopping, weren't going to be able to get their groceries and so on and so forth. So it was an incredible thing to know that we had somewhere to turn um, outside of our group of volunteers to help these people out. And that was Jewish Ottawa helps. All you had to do is you put a little note on Facebook, um, you know, a senior needs groceries. And then within like a minute, there are so many people offering, yeah, I'm going to the, you know, this kosher supermarket, I'm going here, I'm going there. And um, they're taken care of within this very short period of time. It was, it was really remarkable. But yeah, that was, a, that was the start of our buddy system. And then um, I know that uh, Federation really stepped up with, with their buddy system. I think they've made 1,500 calls now. Is that correct, Nikki? Yes. Yeah. So th that's because that was something from the very get-go was really important. To and us. who, who signs? Who people sign up to have a buddy? How does that work? So for our shul, it's it's you know it, for our shul, it's it was more it's easier because we know our membership, um, and um, we assign actually just so everything went smoothly, every single person in our shul got a call within the first week. 
And then we were able to better determine who needed a buddy going forward. And then we um, placed volunteers from our shul to call the, 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 you know, to be buddies to others who would then get a call every single week to make sure that they're followed up with on a very regular basis. So that's how it worked for the shul. Um, I, I, you know, Nikki, maybe you can fill us in on how it worked with the Federation. It's a very similar process to how the rabbi described it. Um, we have our army of canvassers that reach out um, every year for our annual campaign. So we already have a, a slew of, of callers already in place. So we reached out to those callers and asked them if they would connect with their canvassees. And um, so then that started the ball rolling. So everybody reached out to the people that they already reached out to on an annual basis and just checked in and said hello. It was just a friendly voice for them. And then um, if that person expressed a need or a desire to um, you know, to need a call regularly, that person is now the assigned person to connect with them. Um, then also, um, we also have a secondary, we have a sign up uh, profile on our Facebook group where people can either sign up to volunteer or sign up to request help. And when they ask to um, request help, it gives some specific ideas like I need a check in, I need some help with a driver, I need some help with groceries, like it's, it's designated with the areas that we're able to help in. Imagine getting that call from the canvasser, right? It's like this added bonus of not being asked for money. It's, <laughs> yeah. right? it's, it's, uh, yeah. Not yet, anyway. It's just an, yeah. ama an amazing call. Yeah. Well, it helps, you know, next time you ask for money, like, oh, I associate you with uh, actually inquiring yeah, exactly. as to my health and well-being. Um, yeah. That's really nice. It's very beautiful. And nice that you're able to use a pre-existing infrastructure. Um, Rabbi Cher, any, anything happened, anything different this Pesach? Yeah, so... So just um, as, a, as a segue into that part of the conversation, something amazing that's come out of Jewish Ottawa Helps is that, you know, institutions that used to work on their own are now all working together. So for instance, if one shul is, is uh, cooking meals and sending them out to the, out to the vulnerable, they put a little note and you're going to be getting volunteers from all of the other shuls, you know, who are now volunteering for a shul that they previously didn't really have much to do with. So it's really bringing the community together. Everything and used to be like much more atomized. <laughs> atomized and now people are, the, the overlap, there's no, there's no boundaries. Yeah, and you know what, and, and that's that, so that segues into something special that happened before, you know, actually right on Pesach, um, on Cholamoid, and that we are gonna be continuing um, at Lagba Omer, is that I thought to myself, you know, we're seeing that our community come together. Let's bring our community together in other ways as well. And one of those ways is generally shuls are, are um, end up being separate entities just because of distance, right? Um, you know, where you are geographically is going to determine what your community and who your community looks like. But we're not working with those geographical limitations anymore. So I reached out to um, a, the, the largest Chabad center in, um, in Ottawa which is actually a 25 minute drive from us. So it's, it's far, geographically, we would otherwise not get together too often. And I said, um, you know, let's, let's get together for a Sudat Mashiach, a Mashiach Suda slash, um, slash Oneg Yomtiv experience Neil's online. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, whatever, not Neil's, whatever, pre, yeah. yeah, yeah. Exactly, the Sudas Mashiach's also on the last day of Pesach and we did it on Cholmoy, so we could also call them Neil's Achag. Um, <laughs> so we all got together. On Cholamoy Pesach, we were in those, shock. Way, just for those who don't know, Sudas Mashiach is a, a, an idea that the, the last, you, you throw in like a Shalashudas 
for the last day of Pesach. And it's like the one thing, not the one thing, but one of the few things that Baal Shem Tov and the Gra both agreed to, they were both into, uh, probably for slightly different reasons. But it's, uh, it's a great opportunity for you next year to get together if you're a Misnaged, reach out to your Hasidish uh, um, nemesis and, uh, and get together. Um, sorry. And, and that's and that's and that's what we did. And it was, I, I think anybody, everybody that was on that call, was in something short of shock because there were so many people and people that otherwise wouldn't have come to either a Sudas Mashiach or an Ilas Achag. It was so full of warmth and inspiration. And, and, and telling you, it was one of the most positive things that I've done in my five years in Ottawa. And I, and I know that the members of the Chabad community as well would agree. It was, it was just, it was incredible. And wow. the moment it finished, the number of emails that came in. So now we're going to be doing something very similar for Live Omer, but we really felt like we brought everybody together for, for something very special. I, you know, it's, it's very beautiful. We, we normally, in normal times, we find ways to separate ourselves and how I identify, like, which circle I'm in, you know, which community I belong to, which shul I go to, et cetera. Now we're just finding ways to break all those circles down. There's something very beautiful about that. What, what do you think is going to stick when this is all over, when this is in the rearview mirror? I mean, I think that's, that, that's the point here, right, is that really everything we're doing, there's no reason it should only be localized to COVID-19 pandemic times right? Every single thing we're doing, there's, there should be nothing unique about COVID that prompts us to do this. So, you know, our greatest hope is that it all sticks and that we have a Sudas Mashiach on Cholomoid next year as well with the Chabad community and all the other communities. And that Jewish Ottawa Helps doesn't just disband the moment, you know, everybody's able to uh, go back to normal living. So um, my hope is that it all sticks. And I know that, you know, with uh, that with uh, people like Nikki and others at Federation and in our Jewish community in general, I think I think we have a fighting chance that it will stick. That's I agree. Problem. I agree, Rabbi. Like, I my my passion is always about bringing the Jewish people together instead of dividing. I hate. Um, it's always been a, a a little quirk of mine that I hate. It's my piece of the pie and your piece of the pie and your piece of the pie. We're all Jews. We're all in the same pie. We're one big bumbleberry pie and we all need to work together. And this is just like a crash collision of all the best of our community in the bestest way. So through this you know, difficult situation, it's really unified us and really just spoken to my passion about bringing us all together and realizing what we have in common instead of what, what divides us. And it's, it's really, really been beautiful. And I hope that's the message that resonates moving forward is that the sense of unity is, is what, is what binds us. So. Well, your mouth to God's ear is that I, I, you're absolutely right. Everything about this should just be a, a wake-up call to us for things that we could be doing always and should be doing always. And um, I hope it. Uh, I hope the pandemic slows down and the uh, the sense of community and unity um, speeds up. So thank you for coming on. Thanks for your time. I mean, thanks for having thank us. You. Thanks for having us. Okay, I'll see you guys. So there you have it. We're here Mondays and Thursdays. We're here next week. We got already a great lineup that we'll hopefully post on the website soon. Um, we now have a podcast. So if you're on our website, hit the subscribe button or find us in uh, iTunes or Spotify or wherever you find your podcasts. Um, and we check the OU live at OU.org email if you want to be on um, or you have a great idea or 
a funny meme <laughs> or cute clip. Um, so be in touch. Have a beautiful Shabbos. I'll see you soon.